Ah, refreshing. Delightful. This is what no one has reviewed our podcast to be. This is Vijay, please. A hateful voice for the Delta Quadrant. I'm Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. So, Peter, uh, how's, how's your week been, man? You, you reflecting on anything? Pondering? Considering how wrong you were about last week's episode? Uh, no. I, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about your your one question, my, um, my statement that this was a bad place for Star Trek, and you said, where would a better place be to tell this story? And uh, I don't know. Maybe sci-fi was the right place because you got space vehicles and stuff. I want to say like an X-Files or maybe a Supernatural, but um, I, I'm going to stick to my guns on that one. Although one of our fans did raise a good question as to uh, does the prime directive apply to true paranormal situations and uh, oh, encounters man, with is... the ghosts and dead. And <laughs> the fact that like uh, honest to God Supernatural situation has never really come up in Star Trek minus that terrible TNG episode with um, Dr. Crusher having sex with a ghost. <laughs> I was just thinking the same fucking thing where she goes like to the haunted house and everything. Like now talk about an episode that wasn't Star Trek. Yeah. Like they straight up like you know what Star Trek about that one was when Worf got his ass kicked. <laughs> True story. By her, her grandma. Um, no. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, maybe that episode is a little bit better than I gave it credit for conceptually but i think that um as far as an episode goes it's still i i really did not like it um and other than that my week's been kind of depressing man i want to go ahead and give a a moment of silence for toys r us going out of business that uh, that one hit me right in the right in the feels as a kid i was in toys r us a lot and some of my fondest memories were my mom taking me there and um, going balls deep on those playmates next generation figures uh, i had a lot of those and my mom used to take me up there to try and catch the rare ones you know there'd be hard to get ones that were was only like one per case or whatever and just a lot of good memories of looking at bridge sets and transporter sets and uh, hey and mvp your mom oh yeah some solid parenting holy crap yeah I, I couldn't give you the exact moment where i fell down the star trek hole maybe it'll be a story for another day but um yeah that uh that toys R Us thing came as a hard blow and uh the other the other hard blow apparently uh our reception on the reddit <laughs> yeah i mean we you know i went and and presented a positive and forward faced of vijer please uh, you know uh, uh the best version of ourselves and uh, it didn't take but a few minutes for me to wind up in an argument with somebody not understanding the reference of our title of our podcast. What were we called? Problematic? Problematic. That yeah. uh, got busted out real quick. Hmm. Although there was one guy who seemed interested. He's like, I like I like the cut of your jib. I'm going to give this a try. So if you're that guy, we're glad to have you on board. And uh, whoever wants to call us problematic, well, we don't want you anyways. Uh, <laughs> I haven't had the testicular fortitude to even venture into that subreddit and see like my wife, you know, I, I told her that you had gone on and started promoting in there. And she said, oh, well, how is it looking? And I said, I, I don't know. And she said, well, you haven't gone in to check. And I was like, no. And she's like, well, why? And I'm like, I had to think really hard about it. And I'm like, I'm afraid. And <laughs> 
I'm afraid because I don't think I'm going to like what I see at all. And uh, she just looked at me and she said, that's why I don't listen to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And it hurt. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to really like lash back out at her, but I'm like, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I can see through the mirror with you. This is, uh, that's, that's very profound. Thank you, wife. It's, you know, you married the right woman when she takes a mirror up to the darkest and most cowardly part of your soul and says, take a good fucking look. <laughs> well, well done, Casey. Bravo. I know you don't listen, but I'm still clapping for you. Uh, I, here's something I'm very proud of, and, and I put a lot of stock in and a lot of hard work, and I'm afraid to see, you know, what's happening to it on the internet. And that's the way I feel about, uh, you know, your show. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, kudos to you for standing in front of the firing line on that one and um god have mercy yeah i i you know i'm gonna continue to of course uh let people know we're out there more listeners we get the more engagement we get the more fun it is for both of us that's really the bottom line so we always appreciate people sharing the podcast and letting people know about it uh but uh you know when you go to a subreddit it's the diehard fans and you know sometimes i think they're the right people for this podcast but sometimes not uh, certainly got a warmer reception on the main Star Trek Reddit subreddit than I did on this specific Voyager subreddit oh, absolutely. where I was I was not particularly welcome. Oh, you went into Voyager and tried to pitch a shit? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so, They didn't, like, gnaw your thumbs off? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a quiet place. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were happy someone was there. Yeah. And uh, I share your rest in peace, Toys R Us. I will always remember... How enchanted I got by the Super Nintendo in that place. The 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 play, you know those those demo stations oh, yeah. that they had set up in there. Yeah. Uh, when the Super Nintendo was the was the the new hotness, and they had that set up, I would sit there and watch the demo reel. It wasn't even an interactive demo station. It was just the reel. It was just the video, and the VHS played on on loop for s- several loops in a row. Just mystified by the magical graph the incredible graphics yeah how could they possibly get better than the snes i'll tell you what man when i finally got my super nintendo on christmas like the super mario on super mario world on my tv i mean that was that was the ultimate so i'm with you on that toys r us uh line and i'm with you on the super nintendo but um Gotta let uh, sleeping dogs lie, man. Let's uh, let's get this going. I'm excited. Season 01, episode 09, Prime Factors. It's different. It was very Voyager. I I'd give it like a three and a half stars out of five. Being generous. What'd you think overall? This knocked me. Uh, this this knocked my socks off, man. I got to go five out of five on this. Really? Yeah. Uh, the 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 past two that I've trudged through. This is probably hands down my favorite episode I've watched. And for something that, I mean, this had me all over the map because it starts off in left field and by the end of it, man, I was riveted. So uh, hats off to to whoever, I think, I think it was Michael Pillar and I can't remember who the, the other writing credit was on it, but um, this this is by far my favorite one that I think we've watched so far. man two weeks in a row you want to be wrong all right let's get into this listen dude you're wrong and i'm gonna tell you what on the uh facebook group that one dude came out swinging some fucking hard questions that uh, i didn't even see you bother try to reply to so from what i'm seeing fan (laughs) side uh 
I, I'm I'm fighting the, the 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 good fight over here. Well, let's uh let's dig into this, Peter. Let's see how uh see how your thesis holds up. Well, before you start, I wanna I wanna interject because I actually got into this one enough that I read some of the um, production notes on uh, Memory Alpha, and I wanna just go ahead and frame things here real quick. And this, I, I always like to think you know the the big picture of what's going on where. Um, apparently, the star date on this episode, this episode takes place right after the events of generations the first star trek movie so this is this is obviously they have no knowledge of that and they're on the other side of the galaxy but this is happening essentially between seasons three and four of ds9 and after the destruction of papa bless big d yeah one love yeah the uh, so yeah so effectively yeah the enterprise d has been destroyed kirk is officially dead this is pre because when what generations then first contact correct so this is and there was quite a gap between the two yeah because uh wharf was on ds9 from season four and i think into season five before uh that it was during season five of ds9 that that first contact happened yeah and you can tell that when it's supposed to happen because they switched to the first contact uniforms yeah do you think uh do you think they plot all this stuff out in the writer's room and actually have like a timeline with star dates and all that stuff or do you think they just fuck it we'll just say whatever it's in the series Bible, actually, that uh, how you structure uh, start dates. I mean, yeah, how you structure start date, but like where the start dates fall into the bigger Star Trek picture. Uh, I don't think at first they thought of that, but I think as time went on, they certainly did. It's, it's kind of something I've been thinking about since I saw the galaxy map and saw like the Sorna or whatever those guys from Insurrection were, like how they're wedged right up against uh, Klingon space and like some of these other movie plot areas are are right up against like these super hostile Klingons that I don't see how they're going to maintain their territory, but whatever. So anyways, prime factors. All right. So we get an opening scene of Seska and Bolana, uh busily, you know, just objectifying their coworkers, you know, two empowered women failing the Bechtel test right out the gate. Yeah. So they're, uh, they're, they got Seska front and center consistently through this episode. And I thought they used her really well. She fell into place good. And I think that you really start getting a, a good taste for a Bolana Torres that's not just, I'm angry and going to throw silverware at your ankles. Uh, and they start digging in because you got uh, Harry Kim and Paris over at the other table. And uh, man, like the the ongoing theme right out of the gate is like, just slut shame the hell out of these Delaney sisters. <laughs> man, they... they- Apparently, whoever uh, Jenny Delaney is, she's hungry. She she hungers hard because uh, her in her her aggressive moves against Harry Kim literally knocked him out of a holographic boat on one of Tom Paris's sex machine pleasure cruises. Uh, so and there was this background extra while Tom Paris was explaining this in a blue uniform, and in my head canon, that's like the the holodeck maintenance operator. Who's like watching this conversation, starting to really like put together who's leaving all the sticky residue in there? But yeah, they go out of their way to to really just. Uh, so are the Delaney did the Delaney sisters ever get pictured, or like? Yeah, we actually see them on screen, and they have lines. So like uh, when they're prepping them, they're like, "Hey, so you've been like an ongoing joke for a couple seasons now about what big hoe bags you two are, and uh, now we're you you get to be the space sluts." <laughs> That's canon. You have to you have to roll with this. We have too much continuity about how you are space hose. 
Janeway's pleased by this, though. Oh, Janeway's yeah, happy watching. to see all the slut shaming. Yeah, she, she's into it. She's sitting there with Tuvok, and uh, she's like, oh, yes, do you see that? They're making fun of those space whores, the Delaney sisters. This is delicious, Tuvok. Tuvok agrees that, you know, if, if the Tom Paris F-Shack on Holodeck 2 is really improving morale, really bringing the crew closer together. Yeah, the the real point to the scene is to establish that the Maquis crew is starting to really fit in with the Starfleet crew and, and there's some good crew cohesion, which becomes uh, an important observation because by the end of the episode, you're teetering on the edge of a very clear mutiny opportunity. There's a lot of stuff that I've been complaining about with the show up to this point. And I think maybe that's why I like this episode so much is that it showcases so many of those complaints so adeptly. You, I'm glad you said that because I was just starting to think that, that perhaps that was the reason why you liked it. But you know something that I know you, you probably didn't like? The next scene when we got to meet the new alien race. Because Janeway gets a page to come up to the to the bridge. She shows up because they're getting a distress signal. And so, of course, they're do-gooders. They want to explore that. But whoever's putting the distress signal out is actually coming towards them. So they're a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. They're a little cautious. Yellow alert. You know? A little yellow alert, you know, because everything in the Delta Quadrant has tried to either kill them or take their organs and then kill them. Mm-hmm. So a little cautious. And what should appear on screen Whatever their policy, uniform policy is on their ship, it's always Casual Friday. But this guy looks like he is so greasy. He's going <laughs> to date rape your sister and then sell you a shitty timeshare. He comes on and, and the line is, oh, hey, uh, I'm uh, – what the hell's his name? I wrote it down. Uh, I, I called him uh, Magistrate McHansey. That's an <laughs> so excellent because- name. His, his, he's <laughs> like, hey, I'm uh, – Oh, wait, I'm trying to find his name. I got in there, Mr. Touchy Feely. Gathel something or other. I don't know. Oh, Gathra Laban. Um, hey, I'm Gathra Laban. She's like, well, uh, why do you got your your distress signal on? You seem fine. He's like, yeah, because you're the one in distress and we're here to help. Some real cheesy shit line. Uh, this is right before they start rolling the credits. My notes are, what the fuck is this guy? Because just like you said, this guy, it's a cornucopia of bad. I He's Belgian. The actor's Belgian. And this guy looks like uh, I called him Jeff Goldblum's skeevy cousin. <laughs> Nate was like, yeah, this, you know, he actually used Jeff Goldblum to describe this guy, too. He's got this. What is it within the future? Not only the Alpha Quadrant, but also apparently the, the Delta Quadrant now too. dudes with plunging necklines to show off uh, chest fur, if not some nipple. OK. This guy looks like every bad choice that someone makes when they're on their semester abroad. Yeah. He's got the he's got that cheesy European accent. He's wearing an outfit like a Cosby sweater, fucked a leisure suit. Let, let me I let mean, me chime in on that. <laughs> so for our, our our diehard nerds out there, which I'm guessing is 100% of the people that are listening, um, yeah. the way that I describe this guy's coat is if the uh the AVG antivirus icon uh, was a woman's jacket somehow. <laughs> it's just this terrible, terrible color scheme that just drips with rancid 90s shoulder pads and like this this V-neck that goes down to like just above his belly button. He's got these wispy hula hoop things hanging out of his man bun. It's a great outfit if you want to look like a colorblind pedophile. It's fucking top notch. 
It is just on a series of a trail of tears of shitty alien designs. Now we've got, you know, little little wires in the hair, you know, followed by yet another just vomited out ensemble. Whoever does the costume designs on this show, all their good ideas are gone. They are useless to humanity if this is the best they can do. If you had to take this dude and put his outfit up against uh, one of the candy corn people, who, who are you saying somehow came out as the better dressed? Okay, I will always say that even this garbage is better than the candy corn people because the candy corn people, the problem there is that no effort was put in. None. There was just shit shit out. It was like felt stapled together, basically. Poorly clashing felt stapled together. It it felt and looked as cheap as the rest of the episode. So let me take the effort if I can, on, on, on moving through this. Because at this point, this is all prior to the credits rolling and already i'm furious that this is going to be three episodes in a row that i hate so i'm my fangs are out and i start digging into this as deep as i can because i'm like the rest of this episode is going to be garbage and i'm gonna to have to get my laughs out of here in the front so this guy comes up he's like hey uh yeah we got our distress signal on because we heard you're in distress and he's talking with almost like this um austin powers like yeah baby you know we're here to help you <laughs> <clears throat> with this Belgian accent, yeah, he says, uh, you know, hey, yeah. let me come on board. So they, they cut to the, the intro and then they come back and they've let this guy come over and they're giving him a tour of the ship. And they just as you said, like the number of mean, terrible aliens they've encountered to like, you know, friendly, helpful dudes has been pretty skewed at this point. So even letting this guy on the ship in the first place seems like a pretty stupid decision. And uh, they roll up into whatever the mess hall 10 forward area on this is supposed to be. And, I will uh, point out that this is the only scene with Snarf Snarf and the Child Bride. Yeah. This is the only yeah. time they show up. So and actually, there's no doctor. Zero doctor. I got that circled at the top. No doctor. Uh, this is the only scene for Kess and, uh, and Snarf Snarf. I don't even think Kess, Kess gets a, um, a speaking role in this, but I'm, I'm watching. She has one line. And she's chopping onions or something. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. You now have one medical hologram who is limited in his application around the ship. And now the only other person with some real medical knowledge who's been coming along like, like a pro, like she's year three med student from, from what I'm seeing here. And you got this, this person chopping onions in your mess hall. Like maybe we can find like Ensign Jack off to like, (laughs) worry about about like Lieutenant sports injury. He's obviously needs a new job. So I got in here like Kess, uh, nurse plus line chef. What a value add, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they come in and uh, Jeff Goldblum's skeevy cousin. I got to come up with a good first name for this guy. I'm telling you, Magistrate McFeely, just, just go about, with it. How about Vlad Goldblum? <laughs> Vlad Goldblum. Um, Jeff Goldblum's Eastern European cousin. Yeah. So he comes up and he's, you know, he's talking and Neelix comes out from behind there. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh your species is uh, labeled to have such uh, excellent hospitality and all this other stuff. And it's like, all right, you got Neelix who is on the bridge like 24-7 or engineering, just cruising around. You've encountered a brand new race. They're coming up to you on some very weird terms and now they want to come on your ship. You got this space snarf snarf who, you know, is getting his lungs stolen and being a pain in the ass most of the time. The whole point of him being there is to be like your 
your Yelp for the Delta Quadrant, like, yep, maybe call his ass up on the bridge and be like, hey, what's the deal with these dudes before we just welcome them over to start touring the ship? So that really. But Peter, 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 though, if you do that, then you can't have this great scene where Janeway suddenly starts acting like a 13 year old young ingenue swept away at this at this charming man's uh, offer of hospitality and sensual delight. I mean, I did. She looks like she's damn near going to burst out in song. You've tapped onto a great point that I have uh, as a running theme for this entire episode and is Janeway is completely unfit for command. It's more of that shit I talked about during our, the, the episode about the phage uh, trap queen where it's, it's feast or famine. She's either, ironclad super captain or she makes the dumbest fucking possible decisions over and over and over again and snap decisions too because again i'm, I'm in my like full-on hate for this episode at this point so you know i'm i'm looking for those those threads to pull on here and like not only do you have janeway just bringing um vlad goldblum on the ship like it ain't no thing and, and showing him around but uh you know he's like oh hey Bring your whole fucking crew back to my, uh, you know, reported pleasure planet. And, uh, you know, why don't you guys take a break from trying to get home after diversion after diversion and just do a shore leave? And uh, she looks at Tuvok and she's like, oh, because I want to say it's like Tuvok's in the scene and you got Neelix and whatever. So really, the, the, the main commission officers at this point is Janeway and Tuvok. And she's like, yeah, I think that'll help us. Uh, you know, make sure the crew's uh, playing nice and and increase our output and performance. And I don't even think Tuvok has a chance to really reply. And she's like, "Boom, that settles it. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go to your planet, and uh, everything's gonna happen that way." With zero senior staff input, not a not a meeting, not a hey guys, how do you feel about this? Let's take a look. Whatever. Do you think? Do you think that Tuvok has like a secret diary where he does all of his shit talk about how bad Janeway is? Dear diary, today the human commander decided to have us fuck off several light years out of the way so we can go to some cheesy, you know, Latvian pleasure planet. Yeah. Highly illogical. I mean, he's got to have some sort of like offline mode uh, live journal or something to complain about. Have you really gotten? any sort of feeling from the the series at a whole that Janeway is a consensus builder in any any real constructive way. Like everything I've seen, I think so far has just been her shooting from the hip unless there's a major issue that is going, you know, whatever the big danger to the ship is, then she'll like pull in secondary opinions. Otherwise it's like no fucks to give and it's going to be her way. Uh, very obvious consequences be damned. Well, I mean, a captain, I think in most uh, situations that we've seen uh, with uh, especially Burman era Trek, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, Picard, I guess, is the outlier because with Archer and uh, Cisco and, and Janeway, it's, it's really how they captains usually operate. They bring people in, problem solve a little bit, and then they play out their playbook on what they want to do with maybe one person playing against them the rest of the episode. Um, even for a lot of TNG goes that way. So I think it's a pretty well-worn trope. I don't know. Um, it but, just it just stands out especially stupid in a universe where you have literal flesh thieves and, and all of the other great unknowns constantly playing against you. So that really 
Well, I mean, it's stupid for Jay, for Janeway's specific circumstances, regardless. But they decide to go down. Well, hold to the on, planet. Like, another thing I want to say is like the way that she continually swept off her feet. Like I was almost thinking for a minute. Do you remember um, that uh, N sixty four game, Shadows of the Empire? Of course I do. I remember that because there was that stupid planet on the junk, uh, that stupid level on the junk planet with all the platforming on the N sixty four and three D, and it was super fucking hard. I don't know who programmed that level, but I hate you. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> What was that? Prince Zizor? Was that his name? Yeah, that was the bad guy. And he had like uh, super powerful pheromones coming off of him. He could just like turn every woman around him into goo. And that's that's kind of what I was wondering they're going to do with this guy. If he was like some sort of like weird empath or something that just I mean, because it's such a an about face for Janeway. I mean, she's just completely. I mean, she's sprung. She wants to. She wants to take this guy to the to to the to the shack and give him a give him a role. I mean, there's no doubt. She's just effective, man. Several brushes with that. So you know, they get out and they fly over to this planet, whatever it was called, and they're down there. And uh, you know, Vlad uh, Vlad Goldblum, aka Magistrate McFeely. He's going like full hands on with uh, Janeway. They're, they're standing there. He's like showing around their little shopping area. It's like a shopping area with musical maintenance going on. I, I guess it's worth pointing out that these guys are initially portrayed as basically as super Rysians. So if you've ever watched uh, some of the Ryza episodes, that whole planet is you know geared towards the people there, really being into serving their 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 visitors. There's a strong sexual undertone through it all even in the tng era and we didn't he get the same vibes on the jump from these guys yes, as it's they go a hedonistic down. society to say the least magistrate mcfeely says pleasure an uncomfortably large amount of times along with really being touchy with janeway and it is noticeable uh very quickly i think we should almost just replace janeway's name with complete sucker for the rest of this episode so you know he's showing off some of these space scarves and let me make you a dress and this and that and she's just you know so oohed and odd by how beautiful these materials are and oh this is the latest fashion craze from wherever and something i thought about you know we've had our discussions here about what does a utopian society um a post a post uh a scarcity society yes where you know nobody is wanting for anything you can replicate everything to your heart's desire and uh you know just never leave the lap of luxury. So Janeway, you know, let's let's jump in character here and take this kind of face value. Janeway is so swept away by what she's seeing. Do you think it's a homesickness? Like, do you think it reminds them of Earth? You know, you've got a, a pleasant atmosphere. You've got aliens, which are, for all intents and purposes, indistinguishable from actual humans, minus, you know, some cat toys stuck in their hair. Do you think that she's and the rest of the crew is, is taken by how close to home this could be? Or do you think they're really being impressed by the uh, the baubles and the doodads laying around this place? Honest to God, I think it's just that they get a break, that they get to talk to interesting people that seem genuinely interested in them, that you know they're not feeling under threat. They're feeling safe and secure. I'm not sure if it's necessarily homesickness. It's just feeling good. These people are really into feeling good. And being hospitable and helping other people at first seem like they want them to feel good as well. So, I mean, that's an intoxicating feeling when you're on the run trying to go 70 years through the galaxy and you suddenly hit this rest spot where 
You know, it's filled with beautiful people that look a lot like you who just want to do you favors. Sure. Sure. That's suck you in. It's suck you in every time. And Harry Kim, you know, he he's immediately finds the first alien chick who uh, is sprung on nerd talk. Yeah. Uh, so he finds that the, the, the lady who's doing the 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 musical atmospheric uh, uh, harmonizer or some shit. And we get some techno babble and it's lust at first sight. Yeah. So they kind of ease into the the technology level here and it's not something that really is that apparent at first um this is a very advanced society what the hell are their names skevians skellens skevians that's right based on everything we you know, see i like that let's go with the skevians <laughs> i got a note here somewhere right, what it's called but uh let's go it with the feels skevians. right peter it, and that's what's important it feels right the name of this episode can be jeff goldblum and the skevians yeah nice uh traveling <laughs> no 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 vlad goldblum and the skeevians i like it but yeah the there is a real tech level to these people and they're not flashing it in the face necessarily but uh you know th- these guys aren't exactly down there you know banging sticks and rocks together um so janeway swept off of her feet or i'm sorry captain St- sucker gets completely swept off her feet she approves a shore leave a ship-wide shore leave and uh, these people are down there in their brand new, you know, host provided clothes, which all look like terrible 90s renditions of what the future should be. Um, garments seem to play in pretty heavily into this, like, you know, how much nicer these materials are, how much I like them. Uh, and I want to point something out. I want to point something out very important. So uh, everything that we're about to see, you know, these guys get invited down uh, to this party uh, with these aliens who seem to be really touchy feely and and into pleasure and there's someone that we don't see during this sequence of events mm-hmm. and i would like to talk briefly about what kind of sexcapades do you think tom paris got up to during this this part of the adventure because he's barely in the show and he and the only time we see him he talks about how tired he is so is he like fucking his way all the way across this planet like, is is he creating STD fractals in the Delta Quadrant with the amount of, of, of groin usage is happening here? Because that's that's what I assume. That's why we don't see him. He's got work to do. He's got pipe to lay down. Well, look, if we're going to talk about STDs again, that's going to be Belana Torres and that's going to be Harry Kim, who both still have space syphilis that has been uh, unresolved. <laughs> Never so. cured. Never cured. <laughs> so they have, they're asymptomatic and they're actively passing around... Uh, uh, oh, what was that? Was caretaker the, syphilis. Ca- yeah. Caretaker insemination process. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting when we start reaching some of the more shadowy vampire moments of this episode that Tom Tom the Con did not have a bigger part, which, you know, is fine. I, I think the, the, the cast selection they used for this played off of itself very well. But so they go into this uh, shore leave mood. I'm just I'm still kind of like, you know, you got so many bad trapdoor spider alien races out here that it's just this bait and switch nonstop. You guys are going into this like so blindly that Harry Kim, he's not even rocking a combat. And I get it shore leave or whatever, but still I'd think that the captain want to have like, you know, dibs on where her crew is. is. What? He's wearing a combat. No, he's not. I swear to you. I thought he was. No, because when uh, eventually, you know, he finds, um, I don't know, the city engineer who was checking the whatever readings on her harpsichord. She's like, uh, you know, they're they're hanging out and she's putting the moves on him and he's telling some story and they demonstrate a value that in this society where, you know, it's a 
hedonist utopia, essentially. And it kind of reminds me of, like you said, Ryza and some of the other, what was the one episode or the the place in Next Gen where uh, stupid Wesley goes and like steps on some flowers and they want to kill him? I don't know. Yeah, come on, dude. Like, everybody's <laughs> like an air. It's like the uh, Aryan. I don't know that one. It's like season one and whatever. One of the many Roddenberry era hedonistic societies. Um, but you know these these stories are kind of a commodity. You know, he tells her how they got out there, and she's like, "Wow, that's really cool, and that's really valuable to me, and I would never repeat it." Or can I please have your permission to retell the story? And he's like, "Yeah, sure," but you know, she definitely demonstrates a value that there's a commodity to new stories in these areas. She she's so thrilled by it that they uh, that she's like, "All right, let's go more somewhere private so you can tell me more stories." And they get on this pad, and suddenly they're they're transported. It looks like to a different place. It looks like a like a jungle. Yeah, and and man, Harry gets taken basically to the sexiest planet. In existence. Like the wind blowing they, gets your dick hard, essentially. Yeah, like the atmosphere is making you want to fuck. And she he is taken there for the obvious express purpose to get down with this this pretty alien girl uh, as as a thank you for telling his stories. And only Harry Kim could manage to, to, to cock block himself in the circumstance, but he does. And he does because he does the nerd thing and he notices that there's a binary star. Which is what I noticed because I'm a nerd too. And I'm like, well, hold on. She said it's about to be dawn and then they show and like these two sons are like sitting up at like 9 a.m. basically like, wow, this is a really quick dawn around here. And that's when, you know, they're, they're laying down like, hey, where are we at exactly? Where are we at exactly? Where are we at exactly? And I'm like, gee, Harry, you're not wearing a com badge here. Like you better hope that this isn't, you know. Where she's pulled, trap. pulled you off to fucking steal your kidneys or jack your lungs or something. You know, as these aliens are wanting to do in the Delta Quadrant because uh, there ain't going to be no phone and home for you. And that's where I start noticing, like, how far did this teleporter just send them? And the answer is pretty goddamn far. 40,000 light years is how far they go. And Harry's excited about this because he actually also manages to cock block Janeway. Dude, and because- does he? The look on Vlad Goldblum's face when he's like, Captain, 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 because, okay, so you just found out, hey, there's a really cool new technology here. I'm going to bang this chick and then I'm going to go tell the captain. No, (laughs) Asian doughboy Harry Kim gets right back. He makes this girl like space bam from back over. And it's not like even a transporter, like they're folding space like event horizon style. And man, J- even Janeway's got an expression on his face. Like he just got caught, but she just got caught by one of her kids, you know, making out with her boyfriend yeah, like or he's something. About, like she- Vlad's about to put lips on lips here. And he's like, oh, Captain, Captain. It, it has been the best facial acting in the entire uh, series so far. The, the, the fucking shade that Vlad throws on this guy. And Janeway's like tone of voice, like, yes, what, Ensign? Can't you see? Can't you see I'm a woman with needs, Ensign? Can't you see, damn it? Yeah. But he bursts out like, oh, BT dubs, they have the ability to transport you across, you know, 40,000 light years by folding space. It's pretty crazy. Uh, that kills the mood. And it is definitely time to get deep into, you know, the drama of the episode where I feel it. Im- I certainly will admit it improves dramatically where Janeway obviously immediately asks, hey, bro, dude, I was about to make out with. 
you already know all this stuff about us, about how we're like stranded. So if you can get us 40,000 light years to home, how about, you know, let's make that happen. So this is where the episode for me, they, they flip a switch from an episode that so far I've been very critical and hating to everything in my mind where I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if X happens and then Y happens and then Z happens and the the episode just goes X, Y, Z and it just blows my fucking mind that uh, they attack all of these awesome topics head on. So she's like, hey, you've got some amazing technology. We're in some real need for it. Can you please teleport my ship uh, 40,000 light years forward or just, you know, hook us up with you want to give me all these free dresses and stuff. Let me get this technology so we can get ourselves home. And he hits her with, I'm sorry, we can't technology share. Our rules are very specific against it. And like right in my notes, I put him like, wow, that rule sounds just like the prime directive. Wouldn't it be something if for once Starfleet and the Federation is on the other side of the prime directive and uh, they get a hard taste of their own medicine? And boy, do they. They do. And you get a great scene right after that where they have the the roundtable discussing, you know, the obvious that they are on the 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 receiving end of the treatment they give everyone else where there have been all these countless alien races that probably could have benefited from Federation intervention, but they choose not to because of the prime directive shoes on the other foot. And right now they are the ones in need of this technology. And now they're facing a culture that has a prohibition against sharing it. And it's a good scene. They, they're pissed and they don't like it. Then we do not like this taste and there is no immediate call to we must immediately honor this and understand this and put this in context. Everyone in that room, even Tuvok, like, how do we get them to fucking renege on this? Like, how do we get them to come back on their own rule? How do we get them to do this anyway? This is an A-plus scene for me in, in Star Trek history for all the reasons you just said. And and I even put a star. Good on Janeway for just coming flat out and saying this is what it feels like to be on the other side of this fence. And uh, it's a really good scene for calling a lot of Starfleet hypocrisy to light. Like, I believe it was um, Chakotay that's even like, look, there's a lot of people out there that just have blatantly ignored the prime directive in the past for for great reasons. You know, no one bothers to (laughs) shove uh, Janeway's face in the, the shit pie that she created when she violated the fucking prime directive and stranded everybody there. But the the communication around the table is a real good recap of all the different sides of the argument. Um, and one of the most vocal voices in that room is Balana, who now, you know, after several episodes of opportunities to get back and not really giving a shit about the Alpha Quadrant as a whole, uh, you know, really, really highlighted an eye of the needle with the uh, Romulan transporter relay through the uh the temporal wormhole uh now all of a sudden she's like all about getting home and uh janeway kind of holds the room back and she's like you know she's just as guilty as the rest of of you know now that they don't have the luxury of of the upper hand you know it becomes a game of let's get these guys to cheat their own rules and i believe tuvok's comment was maybe in this culture you know bartering this is, first refusal is is not necessarily no. It's just an invitation to burn. So Harry spits out the the information he got about the the stories being really precious to them, and of course 
because they're, you know, they have supercomputers. They have essentially all of the works of literature of all of the Federation species, which could be a valuable bargaining chip if they really do value stories in this way. So everyone's kind of got that look in their eye like, yeah, this might work. Janeway definitely buys in and she makes it clear. Yeah, OK, I will have a conversation with with uh, Vlad Goldblum. We'll see if we can work something out. And that's when Bolana says, and in the meantime, I'll see if I can sneak a scan or two of the stuff to see if we can figure this shit on our own. And Janeway snapped back quick and says, you will fucking not do that. Do This is diplomacy. This is sensitive. I'm going to do this. Do not do anything that can aggravate the Point situation. blank, she tells her this too. So that's like my first kind of nail biter moment for this is like, are they going to disobey the captain, try and sneak scans on this thing and ultimately get caught with their hand in the cookie jar and be able, you know, is this alien race going to be able to rightfully paint uh, the Federation as thieves and villains? And the first scene we get after that, Balana's a little pensive. Harry's He's like, no, Janeway's got this. And Janeway lays down the charm. I think it's the only good scene that she really has in the episode. She really like, reverses uh, uh, Vlad's sort of interest in her by really kind of being a little flirty, not like overtly sexual, but just, just engaging and interesting. Yeah, she's warm. She's warm and she's, she's getting a little closer physically and is trying to tempt She's got him. her game face on. She's not, yeah. you know, all giggly schoolgirl for a change. Um, I noticed that, you know, she's not shying away from using the old replicator, but I would say this is a good time to bust out the ration. She's essentially warming them up to a bribe. And bribe she does. She she starts with, uh, could you just be altruistic? We promised we would destroy it. And then, all right, how about in exchange for you sending us along, I will provide you with all of this literature. We have all these stories Maybe that's the way we can figure it out. So instead of getting the tech, how about you just kind of give us this push 40,000 years, maybe something like that uh, as a compromise. And if, in the conversation, it seems to play well. And Vlad's like, yeah, I'll talk to all of the other other touchy, Mc, touchy McFeelies and we'll see if we can make a deal with you because that's really tempting. But we get we get the Star Trek ominous music. At the end of the scene. And that informs you not all as well. Like this, that looked like it worked, but it probably didn't. So I'm reading some of the behind the scenes stuff on this. And uh, Michael Pillar comments that he regretted casting a foreigner again, uh, Gathar Laban, um, Vlad Goldblum is a, uh, is a Belgian guy. And he said, I regret casting a Belgian, you know, someone with an accent as the villain. And, even by the end of this episode, I don't know if I'm really ready to classify this guy as a as a villain. Um, you know, after years of watching Star Trek and understanding how the Prime Directive works, and yeah, I mean, it probably hurts to tell people who are in obvious need, "No, fuck you! I won't give you the thing that is a everyday luxury." You know, like how, how the uh, how Voyager did the the Kmart Klingons when they're just like, oh, yeah, you guys are all starving to death down on this planet. I can just beam water in out of thin air. But you know what? Fuck, Fuck you. you guys. Yeah. Enjoy your dirt sandwiches, bitches. We're out of here. Uh, I mean, so I don't know if I really want to call this guy a villain in the real Star Trek sense. I would say that he's a non-traditional villain. But I think that there's a a moment later on where you definitely understand that he is not the good guy. But Yeah, he's not a good guy, but... 
I, I understand. I'm... I understand where you're you're going with it. The next scene, like you said at the beginning, Seska gets a lot of screen time in this. Mm-hmm. She's very front and center, and then uh, she's reflecting on on missing her brother's birthday, uh, and she's definitely starting this push, Balana on this whole technology and getting their hands on it and trying to figure out how to use it to get home. And, and I think a move that would benefited the episode suddenly out of nowhere, it's a wild Joe Carey. He appears and he's super effective uh, because it provides this sort of dichotomal stereo sound at Balana as she contemplates her next move, because you've got her, her terrorist comrade in Seska, but you've also have the Federation stalwart in legitimacy. Yeah. Now this is the guy she broke his fucking nose. This right. is the guy in episode two. She palm struck him. This was her uh, competition. Stole his fucking job too. Yeah. Uh, and this guy's coming here, hat in hand, and saying, uh, "I heard what you're talking about, and you don't have to worry about me because I am in on this shit. I'm getting sick and tired of knocking around the fucking Delta Quadrant. We're passing up legitimate opportunities to get home, and we need to start taking matters into our own hand." Uh, and they do a little hypothetical dance where they, they start passively scanning um, some phenomenons going on that they chalk up to byproducts of this uh, this space folding technique. But yeah, man, like you really feel for Balana because I think she's got some great character development here. She's gone from being point and click anger machine to someone who was a misunderstood youth, has a strong mentor in her life. She's got opportunities made available that were never going to present themselves otherwise. Uh, the confidence, she's a senior officer. And she's she trusted. Has been she is trusted by the trusted captain. And implicitly told, do not do this thing. And now you've got the lower decks on both ends of the spectrum uh, fueling her own, her own doubts. And I don't know if it's this scene or later on in the episode when uh, Seska plays the card like – Look, we're over here gallivanting around the fucking uh, the Delta Quadrant, and it sucks for us because, you know, everybody at home thinks we're dead and this and that. But, like, beyond the fact that we're lost in space and woe is us, like, we are part of a greater good. We are Maquis. We have sworn this oath. You know, at home, our our families and whoever, you know, they're still being victimized by the Cardassians. It's not just about us being dead and lost. It's bad things are you know it was bad enough there for us to join the terrorist organization that shit's still going on um we're over here playing by starfleet's rules but we should be at home fighting the cardassians instead you know you're you're willing to just look the other way at our chance to get home that's that happens in the second scene that they have that reinforces this that's when carrie carrie hits hits them with the i've got wife and kids you know the federation angle of like i've got a whole life that i'm missing you know, when they, they, they apply the, the juice then. But the point is, the writers cleverly didn't just have Seska doing the temptation. They had Joe Carey do it too, just to prove no one here is a saint. In fact, they go even deeper with that here, not too distant future. Everybody is being selfish and wanting to, to essentially break a mirror version of their own rule and get the fuck home. Yeah, they don't even talk, and I think the good thing for Sesco to sprinkle in, and even Carrie, you know, if we do have this technology, we can change the way that life is at home. Like all of the hardships, war, like, I mean, what an upper hand to be able to just, I mean, basically you're talking, you start tapping into 
the the major plot point of Star Trek Discovery, and and it's potent. You know they they don't go too deep on that. I don't think they have to. And the next scene we have is an interesting pathway that opens up. Kim gets summoned down to the planet by his his would be uh, hookup. Uh, who gets him in a conversation with someone that we are briefly introduced to earlier, one of the aliens that's uh, second in command to to Vlad. And in a literal back alley meeting. And he offers, listen, I know what you want. She told me all about it. I can make that happen for you. And I'll take the deal you're offering. Just give me the stories and I'll give you the device and we can be done. And And not only that, the guy you're dealing with currently, Vlad Goldblum, he's blowing smoke up your ass. He has zero intention of helping you. And my back alley offer is your only real chance at getting hands on with this technology. The guy definitely says, I'm going to profit from this because I'm going to get the prestige of bringing your stories into the into the mix. And this is where you get another sense about the society they're dealing with. It's been very forward and positive and everything's been very happy-go-lucky with these guys. And this is kind of like a crack we see that they're really desperate for this this these this information for these stories from from uh from Voyager. And yeah, that's uh, their true commodity. So this back alley scene, this is where we go from being, you know, from where you've got my attention to uh now you've you've really really tapped into something deep and this is where it turned into a great episode because harry kim it's like one hard moral dilemma after another in this episode and it starts uh you know with the the talk of essentially a a, a mutiny or you know dis uh disobeying direct orders now you've got harry kim who's been placed in the hot seat of you know do you make this you've got the connections on the planet he starts talking to the lower decks and it's like um Tom Paris, it's Bellana, and uh, who else? Seska's wormed her way in there. So now, you know, the, the next big decision is, hey, we've got the opportunity. We could just get this shit and, and get out of here without the captain even having to make this moral de- question for us. You know, Harry Kim, do I take this up the chain to someone who has so far made it clear that they want to kind of obey the Federation protocols and prime directive and obey their stuff? Or do we take action here? So like one hard decision uh, right up on harry kim and ultimately it, of all people it's tom paris is like hey you know follow the rules tell tell the captain and uh he does and in the wake of that seska's like look uh it's clear that the the common sense isn't going to win here and they start that's i think that's when they lay the uh the uh you know you swore your honor to uh the maquis we gotta take that this was, into our that hands. was actually the the point where seska basically says Janeway sprung for this dude. We can't trust her. I mean, that's literally what she says. Like she's infatuated. She's not thinking clearly. She's not thinking about the rest of us. It's not until later that they, they could date double team her. This is the personal uh, appeal moment where she's casting, she's casting aspersions on Janeway, but, but Bolana's not saying much. She's just kind of absorbing it. Right, she's not defending Janeway. She's just kind of quietly hearing what Seska's saying, and but Seska's saying the truth, man, because Janeway just keeps getting worse and worse and turning into more and more of an emotional mess through this. The next scene is where you and I separate on this episode, because this next scene breaks it for me in a lot of ways. 
because Harry Kim goes into that office, tells Janeway what's up. Janeway says, I appreciate that information. Obviously makes the situation more complex, but it's good to know it. Ensign, you're dismissed. He leaves. And she's left with with uh, Tuvok on her thinking couch, pontificating about her ideals. And she says the most cringy shit I have ever heard in talking about how she couldn't how can she really break her ideals by by accepting this technology uh, on the DL and this dirty deal? And I'm just staring at this with my wife and, and Stevie says, bitch, this is just theft. It's like you're not breaking the prime directive. You're just receiving stolen property. You know, like this isn't that big a fucking deal based on what you've already done in this series. You know, it's just it. I don't get her. Oh, whoa, was me. How can I do this? Like, this seems like an easy choice. Yeah. So first of all, she starts going down, you know, on her on her decision couch, waxing poetically about her high morals and this and that. Immediately, my mind goes to this is the same person who, you know, I've done nothing but harp on them for her picking and choosing when she's going to violate the prime directive from the caretaker incident to the candy corn tragedy you know she really justifies uh her decisions to stray off prime directive to drastic effect to those around her and for us all of a sudden get back up on that moral high horse is always kind of a grotesque moment for me for for the sake of how good this episode's been i kind of stayed away from getting too critical on that but you're not talking about like saying okay fuck it just teleport this thing or, or, or stun somebody and take off like you've got established elements within uh, the hierarchy of this planet willing to sell you stuff. And yeah, you weren't going to get it from the top guy, but there's also now been accusations that this dude's just stringing you along. And that's, again, good part of the story. Is the back alley deal guy lying? Is is Vlad Goldblum really going to help him out? Uh, Is Vlad Goldblum really a piece of shit and just stringing him along? There's so many you don't know. 50 50 chances and and the wrong choice can have you know an impact that you're gonna have to walk away from the whole thing i get that they don't want to go down a heisting angle and if her hesitance had been like hey listen let's play out the official channels if that doesn't work out we'll see if we can get the 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 backdoor hookup i totally understand if they wouldn't cross the line to like straight out steal it but the fact that they're going to get the offer that they wanted to lay down, they're just going to get it from a different internal source. It's Tuvok actually says, what the fuck do we care? Like what, why, why do you care that we won't get it from the top dog and we'll get it from somebody else that's, you know, second in command. This is not our problem. And that's why I just, I'm like, Janeway is just so terrible in this episode in a way that seems just to break I f- it from it. I, I feel it though, because like, you know, I think she is cognizant that, you know, this whole thing might not really work out. You, you make those moral compromises, it starts to become a slippery slope, and, and I can empathize with uh, her dilemma with the crew there. So just to, to keep us moving, because we, we've had so much to talk about, uh, we do get a, a, a scene that I would consider great, uh, where it's subtle, but you start to see where the society has decayed in that they're all very bored, because uh, Janeway goes back down to talk to Vlad, and Vlad is just his his motivation is revealed that he wants Voyager to stay because he wants new distractions because everything else he has experienced. And this is why the stories are important. It all kind of just comes out 
as by implication through what happens through this scene and and some dialogue that Janeway has where she puts it together that this is the this is a society that's in societal and moral decline as a consequence of having everything that they could possibly want and being obsessed with their own self-gratification. And the decision is made that they got to go and, and, and Feely McCann job is, is telling them that they, no, you can't just go. You have to leave. Like now you have to just get the fuck off here. Yeah. He turns into a real sissy bitch and he's like, you're hurting my feelings. You're being mean. This isn't pleasurable. And, uh, the, the the other side of the coin flips and and it's scratched up pretty good and he tells Janeway to pack her shit, get the fuck out and uh, see you later. So Janeway is a complete emotional wreck at this point. She beams back up like a jilted lover and gives the order, get everybody back on the ship. We're gonna get the fuck out of here. She's and, got a pouty uh, cry face. Oh yeah, dude, she's butt hurt. She's super butt hurt. And for some reason, when Tuvok's like, "Hey, you want to go make the deal?" She's like, "No." Like, not not even any good explanation as to why not. Like, now is a perfect time to do it. You got hours to beam everyone up, according to Chicote. So, go make the deal. Now you have reason. You, now you know that you were being fucked with. So fine, go do it. But she's just like, "No, nah, that's going to." And then she just fucks off with her pouty face. And uh, this is when the the action by Bolana, uh, Joe Carey, and Seska happens because they decide we're fucking doing this shit, and they take the database and they roll into the transporter room, and they're like, "All right, if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it. We're gonna go down there and we're gonna make this trade and we get this shit and we're gonna go home." But they can't get beamed down because there's a security lockout, and they're attempting to break it. But what should happen? Fucking Tuvok, of course, shows up because he's the security chief. He's not chief. even trying to break the, the security lock. The security subroutine is if you beam down, the ship will know. So there's no doing this trade in secret. Whoever goes down there is basically now we're in an act of open mutiny against the captain's orders. And they're like, fuck it. We'll do it anyways. Seska is. Seska's like, just beam me down. I don't give a shit. But before they can, Tuvok comes in. And asks, are you all about to try and beam down? And are you going to trade for that thing? Because I'm the one who put the security lockout in. And they're like, yes. And they're like, okay. He didn't even ask him. He's just like, I know this is what's going on. And I'm going to tell you what's really going on. And to to my surprise as well, he says, give it to me. I'm going to do it. Which yep. I did not remember that detail. That he was the one that goes and ultimately makes the deal. But he takes the database and goes, beam me down. I'm making the deal. And he does not discuss why. He just does it. Yeah. I mean, that that's a fucking hard gangster moment there for Tuvok. And uh, they're all stunned as fuck. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, you want to do the crimes with us? Here's the crime box. Good luck with the crimes, sir. And we don't see the exchange, but uh, right as everyone's getting beamed off, Tuvok shows up comes into engineering and man, freaking Seska and Balana totally have that. We have committed crimes, you know, nerve going on. They're like, where's, where's our co-conspirator? And he shows up and he's got the device and he, he gives it to Balana and says, do not fucking plug this shit in. Do not use this shit until I have a chance to talk about with the captain. We're going to get the fuck out of here first and then we'll figure out what the fuck to do. Quick nerd fact moment. The uh, device in question here that looks like a little, I don't know, football kind of looking thing. That was actually a prop from uh, season two of Next Gen. Uh, you remember that stupid episode with uh, the the shape shifting werebears? Oh, yeah. 
the the young hot chick and the crotchety old grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, Wesley's it's like a high power magnet that he was supposed to take Jordy. So interesting. They just got props like that laying around from like 10, 20 years prior. Hey, man, this prop warehouses are big. Yeah. So what's she do with the with the Wesley's magnet? Well, you know, she has what uh, uh, my wife calls a just the tip conversation with Seska. <laughs> and Seska keeps basically saying, oh, plug it in. We'll start to test it. We'll start to figure stuff out in a simulated environment. You know, give ourselves a head start. And it's that classic temptation. Just do the just do the drugs once. It, be a cool kid. Yeah, it and- starts with uh, with with hypothetical math formulas. Uh, and she's got, you know, her her devil and her other devil, Joe Carey and uh, Seska right there kind of just laying on some super heavy peer pressure on her like, hey, you know, we see how this thing works. It requires a massive amount of uh, some sort of MacGuffin. And unfortunately, that's only available in the atmosphere of this planet bouncing off so either we use this thing now or we're not going to have another chance snap decision and so balana ultimately kind of lets seska do it she doesn't really do it herself so much as just lets her devils take over she's kind of flustered she's just letting it happen and what should happen it all backfires it all comes tumbling down there's a lot of techno babble. The warp core almost breaches. It's this horrible disaster. Mm-hmm. And in the end, to stop the disaster from happening, Torres has to to, to grab a, a phaser out the duty locker and actually blow up the technology they just traded for. And comes to the conclusion, based on all the techno babble, that they were never actually going to get it to work because of the method by which it, it functioned. It was never going to be compatible with Federation technology. And he, she comes to the revelation, we just defied the captain and committed mutiny for no reason. Yes, it was so such a delicious, bittersweet moment. I mean, there's a million things that they did wrong. And in the moment and the way they played the scene out and the tension, you can't really just blatantly blame Bellana for it. Um, she, you know, let she, it, made, she let it get out of her control. She never said no. She made the classic leadership follies, basically. Because ultimately she wanted that herself. Uh, and it's like she said, you know, we gambled and we lost. So immediately Seska starts going into this real duplicitous like uh, – Let's hide the evidence. Let's delete yeah. the fucking sensor logs. This Did shit it. never happened. And she's like, look, we can hide this thing. Uh, and we can spin whatever story we want. At that point, Bellana finally puts her foot down and says, uh, no, we, we gambled, we lost on this, and there will be consequences, and uh, we're going to face up to it. And Seska calls her out and says, you know, you've changed, and this is not the Bellana I know, and basically calls her a sellout. And uh, Bellana's like, hey, well, you know, that's going to be how it is from now on. And uh, off she goes to the bridge to uh, – to face the music. What I hated, though, was the scene that happened next. And she goes up. She confesses to Janeway. I was involved. Tuvok jumps on his grenade and says, but I also was involved. And Janeway, you know, she puts on her, her disappointed mom face. She ultimately does not actually punish anybody aside from being mad at them and telling them that they have disappointed her and sending them on their way. 
and putting them on notice. She says a line and it's one that it resonates with me because, you know, I've had my management positions in the past and there's been times where you have a limited talent selection and people do bad things. And unfortunately, you don't have the luxury of setting them loose. It's kind of the same thing she puts on the Vidians. It's, I don't have the luxury of throwing you in the brig. You know, I need you, uh, but know that you've crossed me. And if you fuck up again, even in the slightest, uh, you know, the next time there will be no pulled punches and, uh, you know, the, the shit will go down. So considering the other, her two direct subordinates in the engineering department were also party to this conspiracy. There's no one to promote. Well, <laughs> Bellana doesn't, out those people. She says there were other people who were involved, but I'm taking full responsibility. So, so Bellana kind of tries to hide things. Uh, and, and that's kind of got to be scary to, uh, to Janeway too, is she doesn't know the full extent of essentially this mutiny here. And then, yeah, so Tuvok jumps in and goes, oh yeah, I was in on it too. I hated you know, her conversation with Tuvok. Oh, the logic here was, you know, I did it for you to save you from basically a full-scale mutiny. I made the hard decision you weren't able to, so you didn't have to sacrifice your morals and blah, blah, blah. And then she falls apart. Oh, my gosh, you did that for me. That's, you know, so sweet. But then she, you know, guilt trips him a little bit. And, you know, she does the classic thing where you can explain any terrible, bad decision with logic. It's its strength. It's its weakness. I thought it was a good scene. I hated it because – it's cheap. Um, it, it, that was the moment for Janeway to reclaim control of the situation and her command and say, Tuvok, you know, I turn to you for advice, not because I'm weak. What you just basically said is that I'm too weak to make tough choices. I'm the captain. You are my subordinate. I give you orders. I ask for your advice to inform those orders and that's somehow you interpreted that to mean I need you to act in my behalf because I'm just too uh, you know delicate a snowflake to go out there and get the job done. When we've seen Janeway literally threaten aliens with summary termination and death if she ever encounters them again for the crime of crossing her path. Those are idle threats. Though. I mean, this was a, a put up or shut up moment. And she was not willing to put up. She was ready to, to just go away. And it, I think what's killing Janeway here is ultimately she sees that Tuvok was right. The right decision was to acquire this technology and albeit, you know, explore the, the technology at their leisure in a controlled environment, not try and fucking uh, Hail Mary this thing while they're pulling out of orbit and fuck the whole thing up like Bellana did, like an impulsive idiot. But she made the wrong call. And I think ultimately she knew that. Right call or wrong call, what she should have said to Tuvok was, I'm the captain. You follow my orders. You don't act because you think that I'm weak. You do what I fucking tell you to. And I despise weak Janeway. And this episode was just rife with weak Janeway. And as much as I did like some of the, the parts of this episode that were kind of like the stuff that I liked last week, the world building with the aliens kind of giving you a view of what's going on behind the scenes and some of the things you liked as well. The, the whole premise being the prime directive is on the other foot. You've got people being selfish and deciding, fuck it. Let's get the, you know, let's break some rules and get out of here. Some, some Maquis versus Starfleet stuff. It all breaks down for me because Janeway sucked and was not the captain and never asserted her authority in a way that was uh, believable to me. So these guys, uh, this alien race was actually called the Sicarians. Um, do we ever meet them again? 
Uh, no, the Skeevians is their one and only appearance. I'm going to still go with Skeevians. That's just too perfect. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, when I was reading the um, the episode notes, apparently these guys were supposed to be one of the three main antagonists to uh, Voyager for the first portion of the show, along with the Vidians and the uh, Kmart Klingons. And uh, they were saying that they had a hard time getting a handle on the hedonism villain angle. And that's uh, that they, since they didn't, weren't able to get that villainous vibe off of them, they kind of just abandoned them as a whole as an antagonistic force for the remainder. Um, so I wasn't sure if we were ever going to crop back up again. Yeah, um, you never see him again. I kind of had to wonder here, you know, there was a lot of thinking that I had after this episode and a lot of what if, uh, you know, you've got an economy on this planet essentially of stories uh, and what these black market now Federation archives might have done to the, uh, the economic <laughs> structure. I mean, there is a, you have the entire Federation and countless civilization. I mean, just Earth's literary archives alone, like this dude who pulled that back alley deal, like he just set himself up as fucking kingpin, you know? If it's a currency on his planet, he he's uh, he's Bill Gates now. He's got nothing but the most pure black tar stories, uh, you know, like and yet another shattered, uh, destroyed society in the wake of Voyager uh, breaking rules. He had Harry Kim last week, you know, devastating an entire world's view of their faith in the afterlife. And now we have a, a ruined economy and possibly an entire social structure uh, upended by uh, some data sticks. It's good times. I would have liked to see Vlad radio up to them right before they left and be like, look, we totally got readings of what just happened on your ship. I see you got my fucking technology. I see you guys are too stupid to use it correctly. Um, and any goodwill you might have ever had with us, uh, not only have you lost that, but you now you know have, have clearly outed yourself as the fucking thieves and snakes that you are. Like, that would have been such a good parting shot to have uh, land on Janeway and the crew. So I'm sad we didn't get to see that. Uh, another interesting thing about this, uh, apparently this episode was initially written to be a, a strong original series connection. There was one. Really? Uh, how st- the, the, the one where they go, they time travel back to like 1968 or something. There's like Gary seven or something. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. This planet was supposed to be that advanced culture that he had originally come out from and that they were so far ahead of the tech curve and they have this amazing teleportation technology that but uh for whatever reason uh the show leaders didn't want to have a strong original series connection for some goddamn reason god forbid you have you know strong trek and trek their episode for the 30th anniversary isn't very good either in my opinion certainly not as good as ds9 so their ties their ties to, to trek don't get very good until they get much later in the series so i i definitely feel your enthusiasm for it man i think you probably did 80 percent of the talking i could just i could just it radiated off of the the microphone i gotta say man this is one of my favorite star trek episodes i think i've ever watched like it just it hit all the right buttons and it added a level of of intrigue that mattered because again you ultimately know everything's going to fail so it's where is a failure going to hit and what is the fallout of the failure going to be and i thought on this one they they really sold well all the gambles all the belly aching everything else for ultimately a technology that just would not work was incompatible and a big waste of time and they got none of the reward and all of the punishment for it i thought there was a lot about the episode i liked um i felt like though that the first 12 minutes was pretty rough 
And uh, uh, I just Janeway's weakness in this episode is just so schizophrenic and 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 strange compared to her strength and ability that she portrays at other times. And I just detest episodes like this where the dramatic tension comes from Janeway being terrible. I, I yeah. hate I hate that. But it doesn't make it a bad episode in my mind, but certainly uh, not one. It's nearly the same as theme as uh, as you hold it. I will say, though, that based on what you've said, Peter, I, I'm shocked you haven't watched DS9 because that's basically a whole series that explores the kind of themes you're talking about in a great deal of, of depth and in ways you would probably greatly enjoy. Yeah, but that's a, that's a show about living in that shadowy area. This is a good Roddenberry end of the spectrum being forced to confront, you know, its own reflection. I see the difference, but I think you'd be pleasantly surprised about how DS9 handles it. They 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 definitely have to live in a time of conflict, but um, I think importantly to the best episodes of that show that go down dark roads – they always enter into these arrangements with the best of intentions, um, which is somehow even more devastating than these circumstances where they're literally just actually trying to get dirt done. In any case, though, I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm glad this was a refresher for you. I was worried about your mental health. Yeah, you know, you said the first 12 minutes were rough. Uh, I hated the first 12 minutes of this until I saw how great the rest of it was. And now I can look at the first 12 minutes and say, well, at least I got a lot of good joke material out of it. Yeah, yeah, the outfits alone. I knew, I knew. I knew the, the, the AVG blazer. Uh, I will remember for a very, <laughs> a very long time. All right. So the next episode is state of flux. Oh, awesome. This is the, the key Seska episode. Well-timed considering we just got a face full of Seska, mm-hmm. uh, but this is where, this is where things break off on the Seska train. So I recall this one being uh, infuriating and we'll see if it is. Well, look, man, I like this episode so much. I think I could write out maybe three bad ones after this before I need another. uh... The next one isn't so bad so much as the key character that sucks in it is Chakotay. So he's good at sucking. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it all straight, you know, comes out on the wash. But I think we uh, think we're in for a real, real treat. And by treat, I mean poop. Well, uh, before we uh, part ways here, let me reflect back on the uh, episode we just watched. Um, prime factors and if we can go back to the beginning of uh Vlad Goldblum dazzling Janeway with his luxurious silks and offering to make a a, a suit for her uh the rule of acquisition number 47 and man it was hard picking out the right rule of acquisition on this one because there some of these episodes I got to really like dig for some deep esoteric meanings but uh just tons of them felt through on this one i'm gonna go with 47 don't trust a man wearing a better suit than your own (laughs) well uh then these guys can't trust anybody (laughs) Uh, that does it for v'ger please for this week uh my name is joseph i'm peter make sure you say hi and uh swing by the v'ger please trauma support group on facebook lots of good stuff going on in there yes hi spicy hot voyager memes each and every day We would love to have you like us on Facebook, follow us on anywhere. Find podcasts are sold or found because we're free. (laughs) And we will talk to you later. Peace. Peace.